Hello. Allow me to introduce myself to those of you who are new to the Chinese Gospel Church. My name is George Bradford and I have been a pastor in Chinese Gospel Church for 14 years before my retirement. There's an old saying that says, what goes around comes around. And doing this video and speaking from home uh, takes me back to probably my earliest childhood memory and that is of me standing behind the sofa in our living room and pretending that I was leading a service. I was the song leader, I was the preacher, and I probably even took up the offering, but with nobody there in front of me. And it just seems that in some respects that's how things are right now. And speaking into an empty room, but uh, trust that God will take these words and use them in your heart. It's very uh, disappointing to both my wife and I that we are not able to be with you face to face and um, be uh, able to minister to you in a more personal way than this. But I just am so thankful for the opportunity of being able to speak to you uh, today. One of the blessings of this arrangement is that there is no big clock on the wall that I'm faced with to tell me how long I can go and when I need to stop. But you need to be aware that I have prayed the prayer, the pastor's prayer, the preacher's prayer, and that is, Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff and stop me when I've said enough. And so you can relax that I'm not going to go on and on and on for a couple of hours this morning or this, this afternoon or the evening whenever you're watching this. I trust that you and your loved ones are both safe and well during these uh, difficult days and that the Lord has been undertaking for your every need. I just am reminded of a couple of passages of scripture that have been an encouragement and a blessing to me and I share them with you. One is 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 which says that we are to cast all our care on the Lord because he cares for us. God cares for us more than we could ever, ever uh, ask of him. And we need to hang on to that fact. And another passage of scripture that has been meaningful to me, is, and that's from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 3, where the uh, prophet uh, says this, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When, not if, but when, you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God is with you. He's with us. Before we get into the message of today, I would like us to do what Peter tells us to do, and that is to cast our care on the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our gracious and eternal Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the fact that we can call you Father. And Lord, we just are so grateful for 
that father care that we can receive from you and have received from you. But we also take uh, comfort in the fact that you are the sovereign God of the universe, that nothing happens that gets by you or surprises you. Father, we want to thank you for the fact that you are still in control, that you are still on the throne. And so, Father, we can place our confidence and our trust in you. And Lord, we come with our cares today, and they are many. And we would ask that you would just take that burden that each one is carrying right now, and that you would give your undergirding strength to be able to bear those burdens, whether it's a financial burden or a relational matter, or whether it's a health issue, whatever it is, Father, we pray that you would be there for us as you promised to be. And so we just lean on you this morning and ask for your, your goodness and your blessing to be our portion. And Father, we pray for those who are in uh, difficult times in their experience, especially we think of the, the health workers and the first line responders. Lord, we ask that you would be giving to them all that they need by way of wisdom, but also strength and encouragement. And we ask that you would protect them from this virus particularly. And through all of this, we pray that you would show yourself strong on, to those that per, particularly don't know you and that they would come to realize that it's been you who has seen them through these difficult times. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our prime minister and our premier and our mayor and ask for those who inform them and advise them that you would also be with them and that the decisions that they make would be guided by yourself and it would be for the best and for your glory. And so, Father, we just ask that you would be with the, the, the folk who are feeling uh, the effects of this coronavirus, particularly those who are set aside in hospital and in nursing homes. Lord, we particularly ask at this time that you would guide us as we look into your word for that which you have for our lives. Speak, we pray, to each and every one of us in a very particular way. We just entrust ourselves now to your Holy Spirit for this. In Jesus' name, amen. My message today I've entitled, And in Conclusion. I've called it this for a couple of reasons. First of all, because very possibly this will be the last time that I will ever speak to, to most of you, if not all of you, in this particular way. And um, as uh, many of you know, Laura and I will be soon on the move, taking up residence in Penticton, British Columbia. And Lord willing, our movers will be with us this Tuesday and packing up and moving us off. and. A couple of days later, we will be making that flight, uh, all being well, and uh, ending up in uh, living with my daughter and uh, son-in-law and their family. Making the decision to leave Toronto was a very difficult one for Laura and I to make because most of our lives has been lived either in Toronto or in the surrounding uh, suburbs of Toronto and within the shadow of, of Toronto. And so it has been uh, 
home for us in many respects. And yet the time has come when we need to be uh, much closer to our natural family and to uh, make things a little bit easier for them as well. And that means leaving you, you who for 16 years have in one form or another, in one place or another, have been our church family and have been a major part of our lives. And it has been for us a tremendous honor to have served you both in Chinese Gospel Church Toronto, uh, Mississauga, and more latterly in Scarborough. And we thank you for all of the love and the care that you've extended to us. You don't know just how you have blessed us and been a blessing to us. And you don't know how much joy you have brought to our lives. And we thank you so much for that. And we will head west with many, many fond and happy memories of each and every one of you. And I want to thank you for allowing me not only to minister over these years, but especially to minister to you this morning, uh, just before we take our leave. And in conclusion, there's a second reason why I've entitled the message this this morning, and that is because I would like us to look at one of the last stories from Jesus' life here on earth and to look at an, an incident that took place just before he went back to heaven. This passage that we're going to look at this morning has been to me a great blessing over the, the last 60 plus years since I've really uh, engaged with this passage. It's a story that has been a tremendous encouragement. It has been an anchor to my soul. It has been a guidepost many, many, many times when I've been in situations and circumstances that uh, have been a challenge to me. And I hope that by looking at this, that it will be the same for you, that it will be, become a passage that you will look back on many times as you face what life throws at you in the years to come. And so what I'd like you to do is to take your Bibles uh, and keep it open at John chapter 21 because we're going to be working our way through this particular uh, section of Scripture. And so I give you a moment uh, to flip through your Bible and to find uh, John chapter 21. The first thing that I would like to do is to remind you of the setting of this passage. Uh, as you know, and we've just come through the Easter season, Jesus has been arrested, he's been tried, he's been beaten, he has been nailed to a cross where he there died, and then he's been entombed and raised from the dead. And within hours after his resurrection, he has met with Mary Magdalene, he has met with Peter, he has met with two people who have been making their way from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus, and he's met with his disciples, his uh, 12 disciples, or his 11 disciples, on two occasions, a week apart. And First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, in verse, uh, verses 5 through 7, tells that there were other occasions when Jesus met with his, his followers, and uh, one of those uh, occasions during that 40-day period between his 
resurrection and his ascension into heaven. One of those occasions was uh, recorded for us by John in the 21st chapter of that book. The story that we want to look at uh, this morning. So what Jesus has, has uh, or what has happened and transpired is there's at least seven of these uh, disciples of his who are up in Galilee. And what we have here in John chapter 21 is John saying, and in conclusion, the last recorded event that John speaks about as he concludes his book is what we're looking at today. And so what is the story? As we read through John chapter 21, we're told that Jesus and his disciples were no longer in Jerusalem, but were now up in the area of Galilee, which was home to a number of his disciples. And they were there because in Matthew chapter 26, verse 32, while Jesus and his disciples were making their way from the upper room where they had uh, celebrated the Passover feast, and they were making their way to uh, the Mount of Olives, as they are talking and walking together, Jesus tells them that after his resurrection, he wants to meet with his disciples up in Galilee. And then in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, when the angel meets the women who come to the grave to see uh, and to um, embalm the, the the body of Jesus. Um, the angel tells them that they what they're to do, now that they see that the, the tomb is empty, they are to go to the disciples and say, Jesus wants to meet you in Galilee. And so there's, for that reason, the, the disciples find themselves at this point up in Galilee. And here they are, they're waiting, and they don't know when or where or how Jesus is going to meet with them, and so they are playing the waiting game. And never one to sit around. Peter gets it in his, into his head that he wants to go fishing, and he tells his, his buddies that he's going fishing. And when he does that, their response is, uh, we're coming with you. And so that evening they headed out, and they fished all night, and they caught nothing. And just as daylight begins to appear, they're headed back into uh, land, tired and hungry. They spot someone standing on the shore, unable to tell who that person was in the early morning light. The disciples heard this voice calling to them, do you have any fish? At this point, this person is unknown to the the disciples. It might have been someone who was out early because they wanted to get fish for the day and whoever was bringing fish in they would buy from them. Or it could have been just somebody out for their uh, stroll in the morning and out of curiosity they just asked, did you catch anything? And so um, they answer back and say, no we have not caught anything. And then in verse 6, we're told that this voice 
called out again and said, uh, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And so that command had a familiar ring to it. A couple of years before, Peter had heard Jesus tell him to do the same thing on the same lake, under the same circumstances. And so according to verse 6, without any hesitation, these men did what Jesus had, or the voice had told them to do. And they caught so many fish that seven men could not pull this catch into the boat. And so realizing what had just happened, the light went on and John said, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. And verses seven and eight tell us that no sooner had John got these words out of his mouth than Peter grabbed his cloak, dived over the side of the boat and began to swim to shore. They had a, a net full of fish, but that didn't mean anything to Peter. He decided he was off to see Jesus. And so they struggled to get this catch into shore. And when the disciples finally came ashore, they saw that there was a little fire going and there was fish already on there, ready for their breakfast. And Jesus invited them to come and eat. So when Jesus uh, and the disciples had finished their breakfast, Jesus and Peter got into a deep conversation concerning Peter's future. Look at John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19 where Jesus said this to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he, that is Peter, was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, follow me. What Jesus is saying here is this, Peter, there's going to come a day when you're going to be arrested and you're going to be put in chains, you're going to be imprisoned, and eventually you're going to be put to death because of me. And yet, despite all of that, what I've told you is going to happen to you, Peter. I want you to follow me. Now, being the impulsive individual that he was, verse 21 tells us that Peter couldn't resist wheeling around, looking at John and asking, well, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus' response in verse 22 was essentially this, Peter, you never mind John. If he remains alive until I come back from heaven, what is that to you? What does that matter to you? I want you to follow me. Now, for those of you who have a grammatical bent, the verb that Jesus uses here is in the imperative mood. And in so many words, what Jesus is saying to Peter is this, Peter, never mind what is going to happen to anyone else, never mind what's going to happen to John, what I want is you must keep on following me. You must keep on following me. And church history tells us that's exactly what Peter did. He faithfully, consistently, continually, unwaveringly followed Jesus 
even to the point of death, even to the point of being crucified upside down in the year 64 AD, many years before John even wrote these words. As I say my goodbyes to you today, my prayer is that Jesus' words found in verse 22, what is that to you? You must faithfully, consistently, daily follow me. My prayer is that these will continually echo and re-echo in your minds and in your hearts, just as they did in my, my life and have over the last 60 plus years. Following the Lord faithfully and continually will not be easy. It's not a walk in the park. It's not a breeze. But Jesus still asks us to do that. For example, you're going to face difficult days, days that are going to be filled with, uh, with challenges and hardships. When you will be put to the test, and you're going to experience things like we're going through right now with the coronavirus. And as you read the Gospels, you'll understand that Jesus went through these difficult experiences in his life. Life was tough for him. And it will be for us as well. And despite the fact that we're going to be faced with difficulties and our, our troubles, Jesus says to us, as he said to Peter, Despite these, you must keep on following me. And not only will there be these times of difficulty, but there will be also these times of defeat like Peter experienced. He denied the Lord three times, even though he bragged that he would never, ever do that. But it's good to know that, like Peter, when we do fail, that the Lord Jesus stands ready to forgive us. Just like Peter was restored after he had denied the Lord. Just as he knew God's forgiveness, that forgiveness is extended to us as well. I'm just thankful for the fact that Jesus didn't say to Peter, Peter, because you denied me, you blew it. You've had your chance, and now I want nothing more to do with you. No, uh, get lost. But that wasn't Jesus' approach. And he won't do that with you either. So when we blow it, Jesus stands ready to forgive us. And because he is uh, ready to do that, we can follow him and keep on following him. And despite failure, keep on following. Because thankfully, failure is not final. As well as times of difficulty and failure, we're also going to experience times of disappointment in life. Perhaps maybe that will be you being disappointed in yourself, in your situation, in your circumstances, which you find yourself. Perhaps maybe you've had your hopes uh, sky high. And it might be a job, a career, some goal that you have set for your life. But as time goes on, you realize that those expectations will never be achieved and reality will set in. Or it may be somebody that you were trusting to do something for you and they haven't done it. Or perhaps maybe someone that you have 
said, I want to model my life after their example that they're setting for me. And they blow it and uh, we become disappointed. Uh, for example, in the last few years, there have been uh, a number of very key high profile Christian leaders who have failed, uh, pastors, musicians, and uh, executives and so forth who have a high profile and for one reason or another they have sinned and they've got a black mark against their name and when we have looked to these people and they have let us down what are we to do we're to do what jesus asks us to do and that is to follow him and then hard on the heels of disappointment comes discouragement the temptation to give up, to pack it in, to drop out. And to come to that point of saying, well, what's the use? And it's especially in these times that Jesus says to us, you must keep on following me. And maybe there will come times when you're tempted to question, to doubt, to become disillusioned. And it's... Uh, heartening to me to see that Thomas was one of those who was there with Peter, uh, there around that uh, fire that morning, having breakfast. Thomas, who had adamantly refused days before to believe that Jesus was alive. Here he is, and he's hearing that challenge to Peter but he's also hearing that challenge to him as well. Despite your questions, despite your doubts, keep on following me. And we live today in a social climate that is a climate filled with, with doubt and with questions. We're living in an age of skepticism to the point where people, even when they're faced with the hard, cold facts and truth, will not accept it or believe it. Our day is called the post-truth era. Living in this climate of doubt, we're going to experience it. But Jesus is saying to us, now you bring your questions, you bring your doubts to me, but keep on following me. Let me handle them. And then there are going to be times that we would call smooth sailing. As the old song says, everything is going our way. Things couldn't be better. But there's a danger lurking in what we call the good times. And that's apathy. Just taking the Lord for granted. And when lethargy happens and we begin to lag behind him or get off track, spiritual distancing develops. It's then that we become easy pickings for, for Satan. And it's in these days of social distancing that we need to be practicing spiritual closeness to be with the closest to the Lord as we ever could possibly be. So even in the good times, especially when everything is going our way, when everything is going smoothly, we need to seriously heed Jesus' command. You must keep on following me.
There are many other kinds of life experiences that we're going to be faced with as we move into the future. Despite these, and perhaps maybe because of these, we need to obey Jesus' command as it was issued to, to Peter. It's issued to us as well to de daily, deliberately keep on following him no matter what. But the big question that we are left with is this, how can we do this? How can we keep on following Christ when we're faced with all of the issues of life? Let me give several points. The first point that I want to make from this pa passage is that we need to deal with the matter of pride. When you look at verse 15 in John chapter 21, we're told that breakfast is now over. And Jesus begins to question Peter. And what is it that he asks him? He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he's looking at the other disciples. You made this boast on one occasion that you were loyal to me. You, your love was greater than the rest of these disciples. You're the one that I could count on. And again, he says in verse 16, uh, Peter, do you love me? And again, Peter answers him. And again, in verse 17, a third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? What's going on here? Didn't Jesus hear what Peter has said? He said, I love you, Lord. Or maybe Peter was mumbling these words and Jesus didn't hear them. Why was Jesus so persistent with this question? Well, I believe there are several reasons, but let me zero in on one. Before his arrest, when Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, Luke tells us in chapter 24 and verse 31 that Jesus tells Peter that he was praying for him that his faith would not fail. And Peter responded in verse 33 and said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then as they leave the upper room and they head to the Mount of Olives, as they're traveling along together, Jesus, uh, we read this in Matthew chapter 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter answered him, though they, talking about the rest of the disciples, will all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Well, all of the other disciples said the same thing. But did you notice how Peter specifically responded to Jesus' prediction that he would deny him? He said, never, never. Three times in all, 
Peter boasted that he would be willing to die for Jesus because he thought that he was the most loyal disciple that Jesus had. I'm the one who loves the Lord the most, is what Jesus, what Peter is saying in so many words. You may not be able to count on these fellows, but you can count on me, loyal to the core. What was behind Peter's boast? His promise to Jesus? Pride. Peter was living proof of what Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is so destructive and so deceitful. It has brought down countless people over the years. And it can bring down me and it can bring down you, just as it brought down Peter. And as we seek to follow Jesus, Satan will always be ready to trip us up. And pride, looking better than the other person, is something we must always be on guard against. In order to faithfully follow the Lord, be aware that pride will always want to manifest itself in your attitudes, your motives, your desires, your actions, your reactions, your thoughts, your words, all of life. And when pride does express itself, we need to confess it, to repent of it, to ask for the Lord's forgiveness, to ask him that he would humble us, that he would give us the humility that we need, rather than him have to take the extreme measures that he took with Peter to expose it and then to deal with it. Pride will keep us from following the Lord. And it's a problem for all of us that we will battle all of our lives and it must be dealt with on a constant basis. It's not something that we can deal with once and then not have to deal with it again. No, no, no. Constantly deal with it. A second thing that I want to mention, and that is this, that we need to constantly deal with this matter of stop playing the comparison game. Luke tells us in chapter two, 22 of his, uh, his gospel, that while the disciples were gathering in the upper room about to have the Passover meal, there was an argument that broke out among them. And the issue? In their minds, they thought that something very special was about to happen. Uh, on the first day of the week, uh, Jesus had rode into the city of Jerusalem and the crowds had uh, met him and greeted him. And from the things that he was saying, Jesus was saying to them, they were expecting something very special to, to happen. They were hopeful that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom, that he was going to drive out the Roman conquerors who occupied the land. And here they are, and verse 24 of uh, Luke chapter 22 tells us, that uh, they are jockeying for the plum jobs, the top positions in Jesus' cabinet. And they're asking, who is the greatest among us? But secretly within their own hearts, what they were saying was this, and why am I? Why am I the greatest? And even after Jesus' resurrection, here's Peter. Immediately after Jesus tells him what's going to happen to him, about his future, 
he's asking Jesus, well, what's going to happen to John? Is he going to be treated the same as me? Or is he going to get preferential treatment? Am I going to be treated fairly, justly, equitably? Am I going to get a fair shake? This is the question that Peter is asking here. In one way or another, we do ask the same question. For example, here are my neighbors that live across the street in this big mansion of a place who have high-paying jobs, who drive these high-speed, uh, latest models of cars. And here I am, in the, uh, a Christian, living across the street in this matchbox of a house, driving this, driving this rattle-trap of a car. What's going on here, Lord? Or here's my classmate who claims that they're a Christian but doesn't live like it. And they're pulling off top marks. And they never break a sweat when they're studying. They, it just comes so naturally to them. And here am I. I work hard and I put in all kinds of hours just to get a C. Or here's my friend who's a committed Christian. And it just seems that every th thing that they put their hand to is a su success. They get the top job. They get the big salary. They get all the perks. And here am I, I slave away in this back room and nobody even knows who I am or my name. And we can often be guilty of playing this comparison game. And here's Jesus saying to Peter and he's saying this to us as well. What is that to you? You must follow me. Following Jesus is not climbing the ladder of success. It's not about your standing that you achieve in your community. It's not what the world thinks of you or how they think of you. It's not how much you've accumulated in life. Jesus says to us, never mind these things. I want you to faithfully follow me. We need to deal with pride. We need to deal with this issue of always making comparisons between ourselves and others. But lastly, what Jesus is asking us to do is to let him lead us. We live in the instant age when everything must happen and it has to happen now. Back in the 1960s, we thought of ourselves as the now generation. We were called that, unfortunately, we have taken this now business to a whole new level today. To listen to some people, we should have had the cure for the coronavirus before it ever appeared. And like, likewise, there are many Christians who think that once they become a Christian, that they should have attained instant spirituality. I recall a phone call I received one evening from a fellow in the church I was pastoring, he was a, a fairly new Christian. And uh, the phone call was essentially him saying that uh, he had now arrived at uh, spiritual perfection. 
and that he had all of the spiritual gifts. And he was comparing himself to the rest of the believers in the church, and he was far beyond where they uh, were. And what he was essentially doing was saying, I have, I don't need to follow the Lord any, anymore because I have arrived. It's not until the Lord takes us home to be with himself that we can say that we've arrived because that's when it will happen, not in this lifetime. That means we all must, all, must always be following the Lord Jesus. And we need to go patiently at his pace not like Peter, who at times was always getting ahead of Jesus. And uh, every once in a while, Jesus had to rein him in. And there will be times in our life where we think, well, the Lord isn't working fast enough. And we need to ramp up things. I guess it's up to me to make things happen. And so we go at it ourselves and we get ahead of the Lord. Our job is not to lead. Our job is to follow his lead. There's an old hymn that uh, was written by William Longstaff that needs to be dusted off from time to time. And here are the words of the third verse that are appropriate for what we're talking about. He writes, Take time to be holy. Let him be thy guide. Good advice. And run not before him, whatever betide. In joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord. And looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. Well said. Our responsibility is to follow, not right ahead of the Lord, or to blaze our own trail, but to follow. Did you catch the words of the last line of that chorus? Still trust in his word. This is where following begins, in God's Word, reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, delighting in it, obeying it. In order to consistently, faithfully follow Jesus, you need to daily, consistently be in His Word. And if you're not, you're going to find that your following the Lord will be hit and miss. It will be fits and starts. I find it fascinating that the Holy Spirit led John to conclude his gospel with this story and this command. No matter what the situation is, the circumstances are, what's happening to others around you, no matter how others are responding to the Lord, you must follow him. Not once in a while, not whenever you feel like it, not now, uh, now and again, not just on Sundays when you're with other Christians, but daily and continually and faithfully follow him. So, in conclusion, my challenge to you as we say our farewells Keep on following Jesus Christ. Nothing will bring greater satisfaction or fulfillment in life and meaning to your life than doing this. Wilford Grenfell was a missionary doctor to the fishermen and the, to the Eskimos in Labrador and Newfoundland. 
in the late 1800s, he, in the early 1900s, he served in that area. And he writes this, he says, feeble and devious as my footsteps have been since my decision to follow Christ, I believe more than ever that this is the only real adventure in life. No other step do I ever compare with it in permanent satisfaction. I regret I did not take that step for, uh, sooner. I never had any question. It is the decision to follow Christ that does for a man what nothing else can do. And I would say, looking back on my life, I would agree with everything he said. And I covet this experience for you as well. So keep on following the Lord. I realize that I may be speaking to some who have never committed your lives to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have never taken even one step towards being a follower of his. And might I urge you, might I implore you to take that step and invite him into your life to be your Lord, your master, and to be your savior. The events of the last few weeks and months have shown that life can be very, very fragile and the future very uncertain. It's possible that you've heard the good news of the Lord Jesus in days past. You uh, have agreed that this is the truth and you know what your responsibility is to invite him into your life. But you take the attitude, well, someday I will do that. The coronavirus has dramatically shown us that none of us can presume upon today, never mind tomorrow. And we need to pay close attention to what the Apostle Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, where he said this, Behold, now, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The date was October the 8th, 1871. That's a while ago. And it was a Sunday evening, and D.L. Moody was preaching to a crowded church, as he often did in his hometown of Chicago. He was preaching about Jesus' trial before uh, Pilate, the Roman governor, and he concluded his message with this question. The question that Peter, or that Pilate, asked of the Jewish leaders particularly, and the crowds that were there at Jesus' trial. And his question of them was, what shall I do with this man? What shall I do with Jesus? And Moody said, this is the question that we all must answer. What shall I do with Jesus? And he went on to say, I want, to, I want you to think about that question this coming week. And come back next week and we'll consider what your answer to that question needs to be. And with that, he concluded the service. And his audience walked out of the church that evening with this question ringing in their ears, and they walked into a city that was ablaze. Chicago was on fire and continued to burn for three days. And because of the events, that question was left unanswered in the lives of many who were there that night. And let me put this question to you. What will you do 
with Jesus? And that question needs to be answered, and it needs to be answered, as Paul said, now. Here's what A.B. Simpson wrote in one of his hymns about this. He asked the question, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday, your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? These are uncertain times when none of us knows what tomorrow holds for us. And I would urge you, take that first step, and that is to repent of your sin and to invite the Lord Jesus to come into your life and become a fully devoted follower of him. Perhaps at some point in the past, you have become a follower of Jesus. But like the sheep in the story that Jesus told about that wandered away, gradually, imperceptibly, you have wandered away from, from the Lord. And today you find yourself practicing spiritual distancing. The world and what it has to offer seem to be so attractive, so appealing, so alluring, and drew you away from him, only to find that what the Bible has said is very true, that the pleasures of sin, the enjoyments of the world, are only for a very short period of time. And all of these things that you have been attracted to and engaged in have left that sour taste in your life, have stripped you of any joy or any happiness. And no longer are you a follower, but more of a straggler. And today the Lord is calling you to come back to him and to follow him closely and to do this on a consistent basis. In these concluding moments, the Lord is saying to every one of us, keep on following me. For some, it might be the start the spiritual journey by accepting him as your Lord and Savior. For others, it might be to turn away from the distractions and the fleeting pleasures that this world has to offer to get back in step with Jesus Christ. These days of quarantine have simplified life for many of us. We've got all kinds of time that we didn't have before. And in these quiet days, these days when we have time to reflect and to think and to meditate, take the opportunity of getting back into step with the Lord. And for others, Jesus' command Peter, uh, to, to Peter, maybe just that encouragement for us to just keep on constantly, daily following him, no matter what life throws at us. And to end this to, together, I would urge you this morning to do business with God right now. Don't put it off. Keep on faithfully, continually. Be that intimate follower of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we are so thankful for the word of God and the challenge that it brings to our lives and for the challenge that Jesus gave to his followers back so many years ago that still ring today, that still are applicable to us today. 
especially in the kind of world in which we live, that we would be drawn closer to you in our, our following of you. And Heavenly Father, we would pray that for those who have never made that uh, life commitment to you, we pray that today would be that day. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be much at work in their lives. For those who have been wandering and straying, and we, we would commit them to you as well and ask for that drawing work of the Holy Spirit to bring them back into a closer relationship with you. And for those who have been keeping in step with you, we pray that this would be an encouragement uh, to them and be that help, especially when the difficult times come and the uh, challenges mount, we pray that despite all of these, that we would all continually follow you. And so, Father, we just ask that you would continue to allow these words to resonate in our hearts for the rest of our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, just commit each of us to your blessing. We pray all of this for your glory and in your name. Amen. So, as Laura and I come to the end of our sojourn here in Ontario, we are very aware of how true the Bible is when it talks about us being pilgrims here on earth, heading towards our eternal home in heaven. And um, because of that, because this is true, uh, we don't say goodbye. Rather, we say, till we meet again. And it will be either here or there or in the air as we go to meet the Lord when he comes back. The Lord bless you and thank you for all that you mean to us and what you have been by way of a blessing to us. Thank you.